0: All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us yet again. And I'm here with actually a longtime friend, Mike Colon. Mike, thanks so much for making time for the Boca Podcast today.
1: Nathan, thanks, man. It's it's my pleasure, and I'm
0: I'm uh, looking forward to it. And and it's funny even to to have the formality of of that introduction uh, because we we've known each other for a long time. And I was actually telling a couple of people this is having you on the podcast is kind of an interesting thing. You were in, I think there was a book when I like early on in my wedding photography career that was was it called the Art of Digital Wedding Photography. Were you in that book?
1: Uh, was that like a uh Bill Herder book I think I remember that
0: one something like that yeah th- there was there were two or three books that I that I looked through as a wedding photographer for inspiration and I think there were people like yeah. yourself and Dennis Reggie and Bambi Cantrell and, and uh, Joe Photo and a list. And I had some DVDs, too, of course, back in the day of DVDs where I'd, I'd go through and watch these DVDs just for inspiration. And you were one of those photographers <laughs> yeah. that I'd kind of look to for inspiration at, at your style, the way that you were certainly approaching business. I had the opportunity to attend a, a workshop that you did years ago in California. So it's a privilege not only to have you on here because you're a friend. We've had the opportunity to spend time together in the industry and then outside the industry as well. Well, but just because I looked up to you for so long, too, so it's really kind of like full circle, um, and I'm excited about the conversation we're going to have today.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, we've definitely had our experiences together and and, uh, been through the industry and then also like our trip to Italy together and Yosemite, and uh, we go way back, man. (laughs)
0: We <laughs> we do yeah, and, it, and it's fun to kind of think back, and we could probably do individual podcast episodes almost on each of those adventures. You mentioned Yosemite; that was just this past October <laughs> with a group of guys, and that was tons of fun. Uh, in fact, that was actually a first for me. I don't know if I told you guys this when I was there, but I just I was never like a guy's guy. I, I didn't have a lot of fr- guy friends growing up, and I, I just for whatever reason I just didn't develop close relationships for with guys. So. I had the opportunity to to go with you, and I think there was, what, eight or so of us to Yosemite yeah. and kind of glamp, if you will, and, <laughs> and spend a few days there in Yosemite and, and hike up to Half Dome. And some of you guys climbed all the way to the top. But that was a really fun adventure for me and a unique experience for me. And then you mentioned Italy. We had You and I had the opportunity to go to Kenny Kim's wedding. And, of course, you photographed Kenny's wedding in Italy a number of years ago. Yeah. That was an adventure, too. So. Yeah, a variety of experiences, but thanks for all that you've done, certainly for the industry and inspiring me as well, and also for your friendship and for making time again for the Boca podcast today. And we're just going to jump right in. Something that we've been doing recently with the podcast is just started off with what I call a technique for time or tool for time. Uh, so much of what we do at Photographer's Edit and, and what we talk about here at the Boca podcast is about saving photographers time. And so I'm curious, is there a particular tip or tool or technique, something that you do to create more freedom for yourself, uh, for your family uh, as a business owner?
1: Yeah, well, I, I got to say that this is one of my biggest struggles as well is making time for the right things, keeping my priorities straight. Uh, one thing that I use is iCal. It's just my ca- or calendar, you know, in, in the Apple system. It's just yeah. my, my wife and I share that calendar. And anytime that well, first of all, like I, I want to be intentional about making time for my family. So you can let your life go by, honestly, and like all the things that are important to you kind of push to the wayside. And I found that just like looking at my calendar and saying, OK, well, I want to do a camping trip with my my family. I want to you know, spend some time with my wife. I, I just make that appointment in my calendar and block it off. That way it's in there to pops up on her calendar. She kind of approves it on her end and it adds to her calendar as well. And uh, it kind of puts it in stone. And then I, I move forward even with, like, say, booking something. Like, I'll book a flight or I'll book, like, a campground or something like that. I'll, I'll make reservations. That just holds me accountable. And there's um, some investment there, you know, to, to hold me accountable to that.
0: Yeah, you know, and this is interesting because we've had at least a few photographers that have mentioned just the simple notion of actually scheduling things. And, then of course, it's important in a relationship, too, that there is there is communication. I mean, without that communication, even if it's not purposeful, it's easy sometimes to forget to let your significant other know this detail or that detail or to schedule something, but forget to put it in a shared calendar. Like you're pointing out, putting it actually making that proactive effort to schedule something, not only for the sake of keeping up for it for yourself, but also for communicating with your partner is so important. It may seem like a simple notion, but it's funny. I think how many photographers still don't even make that, that, little effort at creating a little bit of organization being very intentional like you're saying with your time and then making sure there's communication with their Significant other or others. I actually share a calendar with my kids too because they've got some. They've got oh, so cool. much going on with sports and music and whatnot, and and then of course I have to keep up with everything going on with business and uh, travel. I just spent this last weekend with a few of my brothers or two of my brothers rather and my dad. We got to go ride motorcycles for the weekend. That was a lot of fun. But like managing all of that plus business plus family life, it just gets really complicated. So yeah, just taking advantage of simple tools that are right there in front of us. They're free to use or inexpensive to use, I think it's really smart. And I think it's a good reminder for all of us just to be really intentional with our time. You you mentioned your family too. Tell us just a little bit about your family for those listening in that may, may not know a whole lot about you.
1: Yeah. So I have four kids, age ranges from eight to 14. I've been married for 18 years now. It was 18 years in January. Wow.
0: So. Congratulations.
1: Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, my wife kind of started the business with me. And then when we started When she started popping out those kids, we uh, we kind of made a shift and I I hired some people on and and, uh, she took over with the family and and being able to stay at home with the kids and just being a great mom and and on that side of things. And then, um, you know, it's kind of had uh, people help me with the business so I could focus on that.
0: Now, you've been married for 18 years. How long have you actually been a professional photographer?
1: I started shooting in 95. So what is that? 23 years? 20, 20, yeah, yeah, years.
0: Yeah, that would be it, 95. And do I remember correctly that you started as a sports photographer? Is that right?
1: Yeah, it sounds like that. I think I, I list that on my bio talking about how I shot sports in the beginning. But it was it was more like I, I would shoot team photos for for sporting teams. You know, like I'd shoot big group shots of football teams. And yeah. we shot like the giant group. I worked for this company called Yeri Photography. And we, we shot group shots for like all over Southern California for like high schools, colleges, pro sports lifeguards, Camp Pendleton Marine Corps. Like we just do these giant group shots on these big bleachers, like risers that we would set up.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. There's that type of photography, group photography, really, or group sports photography is a pretty significant industry out there. And it's not something that especially in the wedding and portrait photographer world that you hear a whole lot about. But my dad, actually, to make some extra cash for, for a number of years, he'd actually go to bowling tournaments and photograph bowling teams. And it's the most random thing in the world. But they'd show up for the weekend, they'd shoot the tournament, they'd, they'd print out products, or at least prints there on site. And and do this whole thing for the weekend and then leave and and they'd repeat that process over and over and over again and you could actually make a a good chunk of change doing that.
1: Oh uh, yeah, like yeah, the company that I worked for was huge. It, like we had something like fifteen photographers and um, they stayed really busy. I think they're still in business to this day. But that was that was my very first photography job that I ever had. My buddy Jeremy Lucero, who's actually a wedding photographer, you might know him. Jeremy got me that first job. He found out I was I was uh, interested and I had uh, bought some camera gear and he's like, hey, might I could probably get you a job where I work. And um, that was my, my first photo job.
0: And then how did you transition from that into, I mean, wedding photography really is your thing. Of course, you also shoot fashion. Um, but how did you get into wedding photography from doing that, those, that, that group photography?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, originally my interest was with photography was like snowboarding. So that might, might be another thing that you were thinking about with sports because I used to shoot like snowboarding and surfing and things like that. It was more for my friends and I'd pick up a couple jobs here and there. But what I realized was that industry was a little bit flaky. And there wasn't really—I didn't feel like there was a sustainable income in that in that industry because too many photographers were willing to do that stuff for free. It was fun, it was exciting, kind of glamorous. So photographers would be like, just wanted to get published, and they'd be doing that stuff for free. So I found um, through a friend of mine, I found this guy named Jim Cisco, who was a wedding photographer in Southern California, um, in Orange County. And uh, Jim was actually looking for kind of an apprentice, someone who would train under him and shoot weddings very similar to his style that he could refer weddings to so I started working under him and one summer I I think I shot like 15-20 weddings as his assistant wow and that's how I got into it that's how I learned
0: and did you just kind of go directly from being an assistant or a second shooter for him to launching your own business or how did what was that transition look what, what did that look like
1: yeah. So I feel like I was so fortunate. I mean, Jim was amazing because this guy would teach me kind of the ropes at the wedding. I, I got to watch him in action. So I learned a ton that, that one summer. And then as he wasn't paying me to be his assistant, he kind of was telling me like, hey, this is kind of an internship, but he would start referring me some jobs. So he, he referred me like family portraits, things that he trusted me to handle well, simple jobs and things like that. And he let me take the money from that, from the client. And then eventually the, the goal, and I think the original tension behind all of it was, so that he could start referring me jobs and taking a commission. Like it was basically like I would be um, an associate, not really under his brand. I, I set it up under my own brand, but he would refer me a job. He would. I would sit down with the client in his studio. He would sell them. I didn't, really didn't have to do a lot of talking at all. I just kind of sit there and be like present and, and smile, you know. And, and Jim would show them the portfolio that he helped me put together with basically a lot of the setups in the book were like his setups that I shot over his shoulder and things like that. He would be like, "Might get in here and shoot this." And so he basically set me up with a portfolio and then he would, he would have me meet with his clients and he would do all the sales and then he would book me on a job. I would get 75%. He would get 25%. Obviously, I had to cover the cost of the albums and handle all the work and yeah. and interaction with the client. He just take the 25% and move on to the next job. Um, but it was such a win-win. It was such a great scenario and I was so fortunate to be there because that's how I built my business. So. He let me take all the future referrals from that client for free. I didn't have to pay him commission on future referrals. Wow. It was just the direct referrals that he sent my way. He would charge me that twenty-five percent commission. So it was, it was like a great kickstart to my business. And honestly, like I look back on that, and I, I, I love the guy for it. He was just an ma- amazing dude.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it, like you said, a win-win scenario, you get to actually watch somebody who has an established business, and he's sending you work as well. That that really, that's not yeah, something I mean, you get to hear about a lot. You've been shooting for about 20 years, when Being you've been a wedding photographer, rather, for about 20 years. In that time frame, and I mean, I've, the work that I've seen come from—I mean, th- on your website or in social media or otherwise—the style has seemed to stay quite consistent. But style is one thing. What would you actually say your business's brand position is? What what sets you apart from the other wedding photographers in that massive California market?
1: Yeah, so I, I took a position early on as kind of a high-end wedding photographer, sure. someone who um, was going after the bigger, kind of fancier weddings, the big like hundred thousand dollar plus weddings i did that by raising my prices and kind of really targeting those clients and trying to understand what they wanted as far as the style of photography or what they wanted as far as like products and quality of, of albums and prints and frames and things like that and then also just trying to understand what they expected as far as service goes as far as like you know how much personal service they need to put into those clients and so I would charge more, but I would, I would book less, fewer clients and I would just really focus on them and give them really like, you know, hands on service and just really take care of them. And that was my position early on. I think I've always kind of went that direction. Um, over the years, I, I got into shooting editorial for, for Wedding Style Magazine. That was, um, I became kind of a contributing photographer to that magazine and I started going to New York and shooting fashion and shooting like all kinds of editorial work for that magazine, which opened the door to, to shooting more wedding fashion. And so I feel like right now my brand position and what people know me as and try to hire me for is, is for, I kind of bring that little bit of like wedding fashion edge to my weddings for my real uh, real wedding clients. And by first I try to bring what, kind of a real and natural feel to my wedding fashion that I learned by shooting um, real weddings.
0: Yeah, I remember that I I would go. I mean, this is I don't think I've ever told you this, but I I would go to your website. This is years ago, probably 10, 12 years ago, maybe more. I'd go to your website on a relatively regular basis just to kind of I, I knew that this this photography style, this photographic style that this guy named Mike Cologne in California that he represented that he was shooting like this was the look that I was really going for. And I'd regularly go to your website um, just, just to see oh, what you had posted sense. there. And you had, a, you had a really clean, very minimalist design to your website, which is really beautiful because it helped emphasize the imagery. I really loved that. But how do you, at this point, I mean, yeah. you, you said you were, you were focusing on that high-end brand initially, and I know that I learned quite a bit from you in regards to how to create a higher-end brand. I, we were, I was actually shooting in the Chattanooga market. The first wedding I ever shot was $350, and I, I lost money on that. And, and okay. I grew to the yeah. point where I was shooting $10,000, as much as, as $10,000 for a wedding, which in the, the Chattanooga market was quite high. You're, you're talking yeah. about shooting $100,000 weddings, and that that naturally puts you in the top or maybe even top 3% of wedding photography that's happening in the U S but to shoot that style of wedding and then to start to, to kind of mix editorial, uh, uh, that editorial look to your imagery, how do you communicate all of that to your clients when you're trying to sell them as a photographer? I mean, do you do that through your website? Is it in-person conversation? How do you communicate the brand position?
1: Yes. I mean, really like lately my work has been, uh, my, my marketing has been focused on social media, uh, my website's been under under construction, I guess you could say, for a few months now. And uh, I, I took down my old website, which I felt like was a, was a pretty good representation of, of my work, but I just felt like it was getting dated and, and a little bit stale. So I took it down and been working on a new website ever since, which, as you know, websites take a long time. And it's I think just trying to put together the right imagery and putting together the imagery that, that I feel confident as like represents my brand well and the, the direction that I'm moving towards in the future, yeah. that takes some time. And that, that's that been, uh, you know, kind of like a difficult thing for me. And so I want to do a and I want to come out with a bang. And so I've been spending some serious time focusing on which images I'm going to put on there and kind of putting together that, that portfolio and also the design of the site needs to communicate that. But aside from the website, I've been focusing on social media and focusing on just being published, um, whether that be through online publications or print publications i still work with wedding style magazine and a number of others but i think that brides mostly find me through like lately through word of mouth referrals from my past clients that i've shot for and through social media that's kind of been where i've been successful at getting those clients. And so they, they see my work on social media,
0: mostly. And, and I have to throw out your Instagram account, because it really is beautiful fact I just pulled it up here while you were talking. If you guys just, for those of you listening in, you can go to, of course, Instagram, uh, Mike Colon, just like it sounds, M-I-K-E and then C-O-L-O-N. Uh, and in the future, when, when uh, Mike's website goes live, it is mikecolon.com. It's linked from his Instagram account as well. But definitely check out his work there. It's absolutely stunning. And I'm curious, what... As, as a photographer now that has been in the industry for quite some time, I have a lot of respect actually for the consistency in the style that you've maintained as far as your, your photography is concerned. And you're obviously shooting in the same realm as far as the, the client base is concerned as well. But throughout all that time, what would you say is one of the toughest lessons that you've learned as a business owner, as a photographer?
1: Definitely one of the toughest lessons I've learned is, I, you know, I heard this this line from dennis reggie actually you mentioned dennis reggie earlier he was a mentor of mine and i had i had all of his not dvds but vhs tapes yes <laughs> so kind of myself a bit but I, yeah it was like it was like eight hours or something crazy uh, of vhs tapes that i would sit on my couch with my wife and we'd watch and i'd learn from it one one thing that really stood out to me in, in my mind what, one thing he said and i wish i listened to it was he said that once you start you can never stop and he's talking about marketing he's talking about kind of uh, pushing, pushing that marketing vehicle or whatever it is. Yeah. I used to, I used to call it like this: picture this giant Indiana jones size boulder, and you're pushing it up this hill, and and you got to push, 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 and you get some friends to help you, and you get some other people, some industry associates and, and contacts in the industry to help you push. And you, everyone starts getting on your side, and they see that ball rolling, and they push, 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 and it finally gets to like the top of the hill, and then you push it over that hill, and then it starts going down, and then it starts snowballing, like getting bigger and bigger. And then it's unstoppable. And I used to give that give that analogy, but honestly, looking back, I think like, well, I don't know if that analogy is true. I feel like it's a constant uphill push. And yeah, you get some momentum, and you you get you go down some hills and things like that. But like Dennis, what you said, once you start pushing, you can't stop. And maybe when you retire someday, you could stop. Um, but you got, you got to always be feeding that fire and always be pushing that that boulder. And if it ever slows down and stops, it's like starting over again. You got to get that thing got to get a bunch of help and a bunch of effort and a bunch of money and start pushing that yep. thing forward again and so if I could kind of talk about my one thing that I learned you know something something big that I learned in my business it you can't stop like I got I got comfortable I don't know if I got comfortable or if I got burnout but after 10 years to do my business I kind of was like over the marketing game I was like okay I'm just kind of burnout on this marketing game I'm kind of you know I kind of felt like I reached a plateau so to speak and I'm just going to passed my business off to my employees, let them answer the phones, let them talk to my clients, let them book. I even hired like a, a, someone who would book me, kind of like a, a booking agent, let her handle all my phone calls, and I just went and started, I went and did jujitsu, and, and I started doing Brazilian jujitsu, and I was like, okay, this is fun, and I'm getting back in shape, and you know, I'm on cruise control. But yeah. at, what I found after another several years of, of coasting on cruise control is that I started to, to see my business take a dive. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, crap, like I need to get back in this. And my wife was concerned and I was concerned. And so, you know, luckily I, I caught it before it stopped, you know, before the ball stopped rolling. I caught it with still a little bit of momentum and started pushing again. And but, yeah, that's probably my tip is like and, and I don't want to like freak people out and make people think that, oh, my this is so depressing. I'm never going to be able to stop or relax like I'm going to have to work hard forever. But I mean, that's life, right? We got to work. And, and once you stop working, you got to expect the needs to slow down. So you gotta pace yourself. You gotta stay inspired. You gotta, you know, do something that you really love, and find ways to keep it really interesting, and and find ways to constantly improve.
0: Yeah, and you, you mentioned that word inspired, and we're gonna actually dive into that very topic in just a little bit. How to actually stay inspired. As a photographer, because that really is tough. But I, I'm getting goosebumps listening to you talking about this because this has actually been a hard lesson that I've learned over the years as well. When I started photographers edit, that the goal was initially to create a business, uh, a machine almost that would run itself, and um, you know, I, I wanted to be able to have even more freedom and flexibility in my life as an entrepreneur, largely for the sake of my family. So my motivation wasn't bad, but to your very point um once i got that ball rolling i got too comfortable and 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 i see i see now i mean within the first i'd say 3 years or so of starting photographers at it i was able to work as little as 3 or 4 hours a week uh, i had this wonderful team of people behind me that were that were making this this model work and I built up momentum in the industry as a photographer, speaking and sharing and helping other photographers. And that helped kind of uh, give me some momentum, connections, and and mm-hmm. so forth. And I was able to take advantage of that, but I got a little bit lax, and and maybe even a lot lax. And and I kind of went to the opposite extreme. Instead of working really, really hard but and then and backing off and finding a little bit of balance, but keeping the momentum going, I worked really, really hard and then just through, you know, sat back through my legs up and took a break. And, and I, I see how that ultimately hurt the trajectory of my business over the long run. So um, I, I love that you're bringing this point up. It, we can't ever stop. There's no reason we can't find balance. There's no reason we can't take breaks. I mean, we don't go on multi-day trips to Yosemite or take motorcycle rides with our family or whatever the case with, without creating that space. And you have to do that intentionally, like you said earlier. But we do have to keep the ball rolling. I'm reminded of this on a regular basis by a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk too. And I bring him up a lot here on the podcast because he's been a, a significant reminder for me of, of the importance of not stopping. And again, I I don't care to to be the 60 or 80 hour a week uh, entrepreneur like Gary is. And I would venture you probably feel the same, but there is something to be said for consistency and Realizing that if we do want to maintain a brand presence, and if we want to have a sustainable business, we do have to put that time and that effort in. And so, this is a really great yeah. reminder. I don't think any other photographer has brought up that very point on the podcast yet, and I'm I'm glad that you make that point for our listeners. I think that's really powerful.
1: Yeah, and one thing I wanted to add real yeah. quick was like, I think there's also seasons. You know, I think that like if you're a photographer out there and you're thinking like, oh man, like I can never stop. This is this is horrible, and I'm really getting burnt out just remember there's seasons and like, honestly, it's okay to, to take your foot off the gas for a period of time. It's okay even to let your business slip for a period of time. If you need to refocus on your family, if you need to spend more time, your kids are growing up, you're missing their childhood, something like that. Like, like I feel strongly that there's seasons in our life and, and I feel like I took my foot off the gas to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and then I, I kind of left it off the gas to kind of focus on my kids and my family and just uh, making sure that I was there and present for their, for their childhood. I wasn't just constantly traveling, jumping on a plane to go to a workshop here or a shoot there. I was just being more intentional about spending time with my family. And my business suffered, but you know what? It was a season of, of really just focusing on, on my family. And yeah. and now as my kids are getting a little older, I still feel like I don't want to miss out on anything. So I'm still like being careful about how much gas I feed that, that uh, engine, you know. But I realized that I also have to provide for their college and I have to, you know, pay for <laughs> weddings coming up and things like that. That's yeah. all in my future. So um, I got to be careful. I got to kind of find that balance, like you said. And it's about like, you know, it's OK to kind of go through some seasons. But if, if you can kind of mellow out those ups and downs and kind of find some kind of mutual ground to coast on, but also be working hard and spending time with your family, then that's where you want to be, I think.
0: Oh, I love it. And I mean, we could almost end the podcast just with that because that's such a powerful lesson. It's a good reminder. And, and I really appreciate you bringing that up. And I'm going to actually. No, kinda... man,
1: there's so much more. You can't end it yet.
0: <laughs> there is. And we are going to get to that, actually. <laughs> Before we do, tell me, you're, you're a, I know you love your gear. Uh, we've talked gear a good bit over the years. What is something that is in your gear bag that's like a favorite of yours, whether it's a camera body or a lens or an accessory of some kind? What, what's a favorite thing?
1: I think obviously like my all time favorite thing right now, I don't know know why I said obviously, but my all time favorite thing is my a seven R three, the camera body and my Sony camera body. Um, because it, it just has this amazing files, you know, like it's 42 megapixels. It just like handles low light. It's got crazy dynamic range. And it's like this new technology. If you're not familiar with mirrorless technology, you need to look into it. Um, it's kind of becoming mainstream right now. So I'm sure you've heard of it at least, but, um, there's a reason why I switched from Nikon to Sony, um, <laughs> but i shot pretty much Nikon my whole career, and I, I in the last three years or four years, I've been heavily, uh, only exclusively shooting Sony, and it's a, the whole mirrorless thing. It's, it's such a, a crazy technology that I knew back then, when I first picked up a mirrorless camera, I knew back then that it was going to be the future, that all cameras would have to go this direction because it just made sense. Yeah. And then I spent the last three or four years trying to talk my friends into it. Like, hey, like, why are you guys not shooting mirrorless yet? It's crazy <laughs> to me. Like, have you not tried this? And I'm like, and it's it's kind of like ignited this fire in me to, to tell the world about it. But um, kind of like the same excitement I had when I went from digital, or from film to digital. Yeah. Like, there's this new technology that's going to make your life easier. It's going to make your, your photography better. It's going to make you better at what you do. And we should always be jumping on board with this new gear. But yeah, if you haven't looked into it, I mean, the biggest... Thing about that I can say about the A7R3 is that this mirrorless technology. lets you see what you're shooting before you shoot. So you don't have to constantly take test shots and look at the back of your camera. You you have this confidence, you're looking through the lens and you're seeing all the effects of of your camera setting in real time, in live view before you shoot. So if you're sitting there waiting for the first kiss at the wedding. You don't have to quickly take a touch shot, look at the back of the camera, and then get back into position to shoot <laughs> yeah. to make sure you're going to expose it right, that you weren't, your settings weren't off or something. You have the confidence of knowing that, like, man, what I see right now is exactly what I'm going to see after I click this shutter. So um, that's my, that's my uh, super exciting thing in my bag. It's the A7R three. It's just an amazing camera. It shoots 10 frames a second. They've kind of worked out most of the kinks. I'm sure, like, this is going to be so dated in a couple years. We're going to be talking about some other camera body. But, like, right now, this thing's blowing my mind.
0: Yeah, I remember well. First of all, I have to say one of my favorite things about you, Mike, is the the kind of childlike excitement that you still get about things. Uh, you know, you you've exuded this. It's it's driven your your effort with jiu-jitsu, which has taken you to an elite level. And I certainly saw it when we hung out in Yosemite uh, last fall, but I actually saw it during that trip when you were talking to me about your Sony camera that just the level of excitement in your eyes and the tone of your voice as, you're, as you were talking about the technology was it was contagious um, you were just so stoked about this thing and I do remember I mean I, I know what you're talking about when that transition from from film to digital I mean there were some frustrations and kind of trying to figure out the the kind of the kinks and and working with a printer and actually getting decent prints from it and all that stuff but playing with new technology is so much fun, but then when it enables you to be able to do your job so much better too, that's incredible. And uh, so gone are the days of what we used to so lovingly call chimping. Uh, as we take a picture, right. quickly glance at the back, take another picture, making another adjustment, glance at the back of the camera, you can negate that and, and work a lot more efficiently. And uh, 10 frames a second. I think you were actually demonstrating that to me when we were in the park, just like barely even push that shutter button and boom, you've got you know, eight, 10 frames just like that.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, like the other big thing about this camera that no other camera is doing right now is the eye autofocus. And if you're a portrait or wedding photographer, anyone who shoots people, you know that when you're shooting a person, you want the eye to be razor sharp. And so we're constantly like moving the focus selector to the around the face, trying to nail the face or something in the same plane as the face and trying to catch focus and follow focus. And what this camera does for you, which is almost like crazy, it's almost, I feel like it's going to put, guys like me out of business because it just makes photography too easy is it just locks onto the eye. So you get this little green square right onto the closest eye to the camera and it just locks onto the eye. You can compose the image however you want, move the camera around, get creative, shoot any angle, any, any composition and the eye is going to be sharp. And so like that just blows my mind. And I I can't believe that other photographers that are still shooting like DSLRs or Nikon or Canon or any other manufacturer, they haven't picked up on this. And so um, I'm trying to tell people like, Guys, this is game changing. This eye autofocus alone should make you want to shoot with this camera. Yeah, like and look, like all the all the Sony cameras have it. And if you haven't tried it yet, you gotta at least go like play with someone who has a Sony camera and just like test it out. But that that feature alone makes it worth considering, at least.
0: Okay, well we'll make sure to link. And I get
1: all I get all excited about it because <laughs> it's like like man, I use this like, every day when I shoot. Like when I'm shooting, I'm just like that used to be my biggest frustration was trying to, keep, you know, I like to shoot wide open with like super shallow depth of field, 1.4 lenses. And I, I want the eyes sharp. And then it was so frustrating in post-production trying to like check focus. I'd be like, Oh, that's a great shot. And then I'd, I click to zoom into a hundred percent to make sure the eyes are sharp. And then I'd have to sit there and wait for that little spinning wheel for a couple seconds. And yeah. then it snaps in the, and then I could see whether or not I nailed the eye. And honestly, in all my days of shooting Nikon, the highest percentage I got was maybe about like 70 to 80%. And, and sharpness on the eyes and now when i'm editing i'm just like i don't even zoom in anymore i like pretty much i'm 99 percent sure that that image is going to be razor sharp on the eye like when i when that thing snaps in when i view it 100 percent that i'm going to see like the red veins in the eyeball you know <laughs> so like it's eliminated a lot of time in post-production i know yeah. the image is going to be sharp and i don't know man it's, it's like a game
0: changer for me that's awesome. Okay, well, we're going to link to the camera certainly in the show notes, and if you guys haven't had the opportunity to play with that technology yet, make sure you check it out. We're going to actually jump now to to the com or the uh, topic that I mentioned earlier. This notion of how to stay inspired as a photographer. This is a really loaded topic, and and um, I think one that we're going to kind of give an introductory episode to today, and and uh, I'm sure it's one that we can come back to again in another point. But it's a it's a big topic because not only as as photographers but as entrepreneurs, it's easy to get burnt out and and largely especially when it comes to photographers because we're emotional beings right we I, I mean I know that I am I, I have there's a tendency that I have still have to fight to kind of ride this roller coaster of emotion there may be some days that I'm I'm really high and I'm feeling really great and I'm driven and I'm motivated and others maybe something happens in my life and I just kind of react to it and let myself get down and then I got to get back up from that and and so riding this kind of roller coaster state of emotions it, it unfortunately it has a really negative effect on our business. Why do you think photographers let themselves get caught up in that?
1: Yeah, man, I mean, I think part of it is that most photographers feel like they're making it up as they go along. Most photographers are like feel all alone. They're they're working in their own little home office or on their laptop at Starbucks. They're not really interacting with people. They're small businesses. They don't a lot of people don't even have um, interns or associates or employees or anything. So we're all alone in this and like yeah, I mean, sometimes even just to pull myself out of bed in the morning, I'm just like, uh, I think I'm just going to sleep a little longer because <laughs> I don't even want to deal with all the things I have to do. Yeah. Um, and it's easy—it's easy to get burned out. It's easy to feel overwhelmed. It's easy to feel behind, and and like you feel like you procrastinated, and, and now you're letting people down, or you—you you know, there's a lot of different emotions that come into it, and that affects. Like for me, if you're like me, I shut down when I when I get overwhelmed. I, just, I tend to shut down. I yep. just kind of want to stick my head in. The, like, stick my head in the sand and feel like, like, just pretend nothing's going wrong. You know, like ignorance is bliss.
0: <laughs> I um, totally get it. Yep.
1: And then you don't have a lot of, you don't have really anyone keeping you accountable. You're your own boss. So like I tell my son all the time, I'm like, you're lucky you have a dad that whips you into shape. You're lucky, not physically, I don't whip him, but um, <laughs> you're lucky you have a dad who kind of keeps you on track and like, holds yeah. you accountable because I wish I had a dad looking over my shoulder all day long. You're so lucky. Like I need someone to do this for me and I'm doing (laughs) things that I wish I had going on in my own career. Like I wish I had a, you know, a mentor looking over my shoulder constantly, keep me on track and tell me what to do and tell me which decisions are right, which decisions are wrong. And what I realized is like, I need to kind of like ease off my son and let him figure stuff out on his own because I need to prepare him for what I'm going through right now. Yeah. I need to prepare him for like, you know, making it up as you go, like figuring it out, like learning how to stay inspired when you don't feel like it, when you don't feel inspired,
0: you know? So what do you think the balance is then between kind of being emotional, passionate artist types? Because I mean, I I know how that drives, it can help drive our craft, right? If we're just kind of robotically mechanically creating photographs and then handing those over to your, to our clients, our work will likely suffer as a result. But then at the same time, we have to be, logical. We have to be practical. We have to be pragmatic. We ultimately have a business to run. We have to figure out systems that will enable us to run it efficiently and sustainably. What's the balance between being that emotional artist type, but then also realizing that we have to be logical and practical and be disciplined and consistent. Where where is the balance in there and how do you find that?
1: That's the kind of the the biggest problem that I face and that I think most creatives face, um, especially self-employed, you know, people like I was talking about with no accountability, um, with no one kind of running business stuff for them. You got to be creative and you also got to be business minded. You got to um, understand like systems and also understand art. And it's 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 a crazy dichotomy. You know, it's like it's like really hard to do. But from my experience, the the best thing that's worked for me, especially to stay inspired and to stay on an emotional high, to be able to, to work. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, you'll get the work done if you're passionate about it, if you love it. You know, if you don't love it, if you don't see a future in it, if you don't feel like you're heading down the right path, if you don't really know where you're headed, like, why do the work? Like, why even try? You know, and so in order for me to stay inspired, I have to kind of have the big picture figured out. I have to know where I'm headed. I have to think about, okay, am I on the right track? Is this what I want long-term for my life? Is this good for my family? Is this good for me? Is this? Am I going to be happy? Is this sustainable? And so once I get that big picture figured out, then all the little tasks, the day-to-day tasks, you know everything else kind of falls into place and I'll, I'll do the hard work I won't be lazy I won't procrastinate I'll get it done because I I believe in the big picture and so I think that's like first and foremost like we need to get that big picture figured out we need to like take a little retreat go out to for me it's like go out to Joshua Tree by myself and I, I can't go to a campsite near other people because I'll start talking to them but like I gotta find my own like off the grid campsite I have to get alone with God and be like pray figure out where I, where I'm headed where, where I wanna be what is my life about? You know, it's like that big picture. You got to make sure that that's like clear before you start doing the day-to-day tasks. If you're just like doing stuff and you don't really believe in where you're headed, then um, I got a feeling everything's going to be way harder. From my experience, everything's way harder. I don't like, I don't want to clean my office until I know what the finished picture of my office should look like. <laughs> you yeah. know, if It's a big disaster and mess. Yeah. Like I don't even want to start. I'll let it get so messy. And so like, I just Like, I want to figure out exactly how the office should look. I want to know where the furniture should be and where everything goes and where the homes of everything is before I even start cleaning up. Otherwise, what's the point of cleaning up? It's just going to get messy again. And so.
0: And and um, I think that question of what is the point uh, is a a question that a lot of photographers haven't answered. I mean, you made the point earlier that, that a lot of photographers, and I've certainly been guilty of it, kind of just function in this haphazard way, right? The day-to-day, they're just kind of doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. A lot of times they're reacting to whatever's coming into their inbox or to their phone, social media, or otherwise, rather than, as you said, so eloquently, really, and, and it's this is something that we've actually talked about on the podcast before, so I'm excited that you brought it up. It's that idea of having a really clear, big picture, kind of the overarching set of goals that you're, that you're ultimately working toward. And those have to be really, yeah. I mean, those goals have to be kind of rooted in your values as a human being, I think, too, in order for them yep. to have strong or to give you strong enough motivation, continue to push through, even when you don't necessarily, quote, feel like it. I, I'm amazed at the amount of kind of whining and complaining that a lot of people do, not, not just in the photo industry, when really we've, we've got it made. You know, we live in this first world society (laughs) where everything's right there at our fingertips if we want it, and yet we're complaining about the stupidest stuff. At the end of the day, we need to, as you said, step aside, take a step back. Establish a really clear big picture view, an overarching set of goals that we are working toward for the sake of ourselves, for our family, for our friends, or otherwise and and then once you 've established those, it does give you a clear direction and ultimately motivation to work day to day to kind of push you to encourage you and I think that's really important i 'm glad you point that out and I would assume then of course, based on your comments that there have been times where you have struggled with that lack of inspiration as a photographer. I mean, did that happen early on in your career or more later on, or maybe a combination of both?
1: Yeah. Like, so I I feel like I got that kind of about 10 years in. I feel like I was at at 10 years. I was kind of like, man, I don't know if I believe in this anymore. Like I used to be like, okay, I'm all about super high end weddings. I'm all about luxury. I want to, I want to live in a big house, drive a fancy car, wear all the top brandings of clothing And I believe in it. I get it. I understand why people spend money on this stuff. And so I understand how to reach those clients who want to spend that kind of money, I understand the brand positioning, I understand all this stuff. It makes sense to me. And I believe it. I buy into it myself. But as I got older, I don't know if it was just spiritual maturity or if it was just like kind of burnout or I saw behind the... the, the curtain you know i saw the wizard of oz standing there this little guy behind this giant curtain and i started thinking you know what I, I don't believe in this stuff i don't know if i really believe in this stuff i don't know if i buy into it like i've had it all i've done it all and it's not fulfilling it's not really what i want anymore hmm. and so I, I hit this wall where i was like you know what? i want to go choke some necks like i want to go, <laughs> go like get physical i, I, like, get, like, I wanna, like like i want to like like black and white i don't want this artistic um subjectiveness you know to to everything i do is has someone's got an opinion on it i want either if someone taps out like they win or i win and so that's why i got into jujitsu, and i'm kind of bringing this to jujitsu because like that was black and white for me it was like okay no more games like this is real like this i'm grabbing somebody and i'm fighting with them and one person wins one person loses and i needed that kind of like definitiveness in my life which I didn't have with my career. I felt like it was all kind of fluff and, wow. and marketing and and opinions and and I needed something physical, something black and white and and then later in my career, after I kind of went through this jujitsu ju- phase, I realized that's not fulfilling either. Like like anything that you put in the place of God, that's not God is going to leave you empty. And so what I realized is like you got to figure out your why in life. And I, I sat down and I said, "What is my why in life?" And what I determined was my why in life is to love god with all my heart mind and soul and to love my neighbor as myself and that comes from the bible and so once i got that why figured out now i can compare everything i do in my life to that and does it line up with that and is my why is what i'm doing in my business line up with my why in life and so i think that's key like you got to figure out what is your why in life before you start on anything else before you figure out your marketing plan before you figure out your target audience what you're doing in your career what where you're uh targeting As far as like what types of photography you're doing, or even if you want to do photography full time, you got to figure out your why in life and figure out, you know, what that big picture is. And then you can kind of, you know, everything else should line up with that.
0: And that's so important. And I think just, I, I won't even try to expound on it. You, you've spoken so clearly and again, so eloquently about the importance of this big picture view, clearly establishing your values. And it's a good reminder for all of us. If we haven't done that, we need to take some time, whether you go out the Joshua tree or some, you know, sit in a quiet room somewhere, make sure you're clear about your why, because that really will drive you day to day. And it's so powerful and I really appreciate the reminder, Mike. It, it's it's one that I need too. I need to, to consistently put that, that why in front of me. I know it helps drive me and I know it's going to help drive our listeners to do the same thing. Let's make it, tangible. Let's make it practical, uh, practical rather. Will you Uh kind of share with our listeners? I mean, you started with this idea of the big picture. Maybe that's one of the ways, but how do you stay inspired as a photographer? uh, And and maybe our listeners can kind of take some inspiration from that for their own photography, for their own business.
1: Yeah. So, um, okay. So I, I know myself pretty well after being in business for myself for so long. It's like, I kind of know how I take and I understand what works for me and what doesn't. And, and maybe I'm just like super lazy to the core. Like I just, I'm super entitled. I think I should just be able to like money should just grow on trees and I should be able to pull that money off trees and <laughs> yeah. buy whatever I want. I don't know where it comes from, but what I found is that the only way I can get myself to really work hard is to trick myself into working hard. And uh, it's, it's all about like, like tr- whatever I'm passionate about, passionate about at the moment, whether it be sports, whether it be surfing, snowboarding, jiu-jitsu whether it be rock climbing like all the things that I love to do whatever I'm really like on fire for at the moment I try to build that into my work I try to somehow like incorporate that into what I'm doing professionally in my career that things that actually pay the bills Um, I try to incorporate that so that I can stay inspired so that I could be like excited when I get up in the morning when I wake up my eyes open in the morning I'm thinking I can't wait to get started on this project like I really want to go rock climbing but I also really need to make some money. So let's do a photo shoot (laughs) of a model in Joshua tree. And I could like hang off of a rock and shoot her on this cliff with my ropes. You're going to be hanging off my ropes and shoot her on this edge of this cliff. Like I want to, but I also want to get paid well for it. So let's figure out a, you know, a a proposition, a pitch to make to this wedding designer to do this, you know? And so I get excited about it again. And, and so, I mean, that's a little trick just to like, try to figure out whatever it is that you'll get out of bed for in the morning that you're excited to do. Aside from work, or even if it's photography, like build that type of thing into what you're doing
0: professionally. I love it. That's that's really really great. Are there? I mean, you mentioned the the example of being in Joshua Tree and hanging off a cliff and photographing a client. What's another way maybe that you've done done something like that where you've incorporated your passion into your work?
1: I can think of like okay, so like with jujitsu, like I saw So I started shoot, actually I started shooting for UFC, which is kind of funny because I was like I wasn't really paying the bills, but what it led to was booking weddings of fighters like like black belts in and jiu-jitsu and, and uh, MMA fighters started booking me as their wedding photographer and it actually turned into work. So I used my passion for Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I started shooting on the mats and shooting uh, tournaments and then I started shooting uh, cage fighters for UFC and that led to relationships. I'm following fighters along their story of their of their uh, training camps and, and their, leading up to their fights and then making personal connections there and then meeting their, you know, significant others and then somehow and ended up booking their wedding. So um, I think if you're passionate about what you're doing, people will see that. And if you're, you know, doing something that's fun for you and you're excited about it. I mean, that's one of the reasons like, you know, coming back to the gear, it's like, if you get ever get bored with what you're doing, it's because you're not improving. It's because you haven't found something new to do. And, um, we always need to be finding something new. So like I with Sony gear, I was like, okay, this is something entirely new. And it throws me outside of my element. Like now I have to completely relearn the technical side of photography because this gear is so different. The menus are all different, the settings are all different. And so that threw me outside of my own. And I got excited again about photography because I was a learning, I was improving. I felt like there was some kind of improvement going on. And I think that's with any sport, with anything we do career wise, anything we're doing, the minute we stopped improving, we get bored. You know, like I remember going snowboarding and at the end of the day, if I wasn't like injured, In some way or another, if I did not have like some kind of ache or bruise or hyperextended arm or something, I was like, I'm not trying hard enough, and that's why I'm bored. I don't really feel like (laughs) coming back tomorrow. But like, if I go, if I was like trying a new trick and I feel like I was getting something down and I was like landing it, and maybe I just a little off, then I want believe me, I'm the next day I'm back on the slopes. And so anything, anytime I feel burnout in my career, I get bored with what I'm doing. I try to mix it up. Whether it's buying a new lens, buying new gear, whether it's find something I've never tried before. Uh, I just made a post on Instagram about shooting in mixed temperature lighting. I saw that. I never do that. I was like, you saw that?
0: Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful image.
1: Oh, thanks, man. So like, I I usually like, will shut off any kind of tungsten lighting in the room and just use one light source because I don't like that mixed temperature of light. I don't like to deal with, okay, which white balance am I set at? And why is that yellow on this side of her skin and blue on this side of her skin? And so I'd always avoid that. I'd make like, I'd either overpower the light with lighting, or I just shut off all the lights in the room and use window light. Um, but for this particular image, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to shoot in a situation that's what I have, and I'm going to see how it turns out, and I'm going to embrace it. You know, And it actually turned out to be the winning shot they used it in an uh, ad campaign. Um, that ended up being their favorite shot. And I'm like, wow, my mind was blown. And it got me like all excited again about shooting. I'm like, well, now I'm going to start incorporating this intentionally into my work.
0: Yeah, there's. I'm looking at this picture. I actually pulled it up um, on Instagram. And, and again, for those of you listening, make sure to go uh, check out Mike Colon's Instagram feed. It's just Instagram.com slash Mike Colon, M-I-K-E-C-O-L-O-N. And uh, you can see his work there. But this beautiful bride in a, as you said, well, it's actually in, it looks like the, the one hotel near the Brooklyn Bridge. And um, she's got that that window light that's kind of backlighting her. But then in combination with that, that incandescent light that you were mentioning, and, and the, the combination really is gorgeous. Make sure that you go check out Mike's work. So you started with that notion of a big picture. Make sure that you've clearly established your big picture, your why. That drives what you do day to day, and then figure out ways, secondly, to incorporate your passion into your work. And and I think if, if photographers are willing to just make a, a little bit of an effort to get creative, to figure out how they can incorporate those things that they love so much into their work, that they'll be able to, to, to find ways to make ways to do so, find ways to improve or to... to challenge yourself, do things that you haven't done before. And of course, exemplified in this image that you posted to Instagram, I think that was, that was a great third step. Do you have anything else to kind of add to, to finish this conversation off this time around, Mike, about how to, to keep inspired?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of want to maybe leave you with a quote. I've said this my whole career and I've kind of fallen to it a, a couple of times, but it keeps bringing more and more true as I, as I go through my life. But the quote is the beginning of your downfall is the is the day you start believing your own hype. And I mean, I think what what happens is we start having some success and we start believing that success. That's important for confidence, right? You talk about us being emotional beings and, and confidence and emotions are, are, are key in our artwork. But there comes a point where we start feeling entitled and we start for, we, we, we stop doing the things that, that we were doing to get us there. And we start thinking that we don't have to do those things anymore. We don't have to, treat people super nice and, and send gifts to people that take care of us. And we don't have to, um, maybe like try as hard in marketing. We can kind of sit back and we, 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 start feeling entitled. Like I, I've been around longer, you know, I, I should, I should have that. Someone should just, you know, like I should have that lecture over that new guy when I'm, <laughs> when I'm talking about like a sponsor hiring a photographer to speak, you know, yeah. like I should be in that spot. And we stop trying as hard, and we start feeling entitled. And being t- entitlement is ugly. And when someone starts believing their own hype, it's ugly, you know. And, and people people um, resist you. So the quote, the beginning of your downfall is the day you start believing your own hype. It's, it, for me, it's I heard that somewhere, and it's so true. And I, I remember thinking, don't ever believe your own hype. If you have hype, it's only because you're humble. It's only because you're an up and comer. It's only because you're you're starting out, and people want to help you. And the minute you start believing it, and you start feeling like you deserve it, people stop trying to help you. And people start thinking you're kind of ugly. And so I think that keeping that through your whole career, that, that humility, that eagerness to, to serve, that eagerness to, to give people more than you take from, like give the people more than you take, um, you know, that that just excitement and that, that humility, I think is key in, in life and in a business.
0: Yeah, I think we've seen that too much in our industry, sadly, where, where there have been photographers that are just getting so caught up in their own hype and they become very disingenuous and, and uh, I don't know, just not as appealing an individual to be around anymore because they're so caught up in their, their own ego. And so I I think, I think your point is a, is a good one. There's nothing wrong with being confident in your ability. And it's important as you pointed out to continue to work on improving your ability, your craft. But at the end of the day, if you don't maintain that humility, uh, there is a there's going to be a tendency to kind of get lazy in that and uh of course that that can significantly affect our business in a negative way so thank you for ending on that note it's a wonderful reminder we'll make sure to put that quote in the the show notes too for everybody maybe we can even create a uh, an instagram story or a post that people can screenshot and stick it on the background of their 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 uh, uh, that'd phones awesome. that'll be that'll be good but it's a it's a really really great quote thank you so much for making time to share with us today Mike and can you just reiterate one more time for our listeners where they can follow you online social media website and so forth
1: thanks Nathan man it's been such an honor and a pleasure talking with you and dude we need to go back to Yosemite and hang out some more seriously like this summer I think we should do it but anyway so uh, thanks for letting me also plug my my uh, my website and social media. My social media is just at Mike Colon, M-I-K-E-C-O-L-O-N. And that's where like most of my recent images are coming. I'm actually like in the process of developing a strategy for YouTube. So um, I have a few videos up on YouTube as well. It's just Mike Colon, M-I-K-E-C-O-L-O-N. So if you just go to YouTube, I think you just search Mike Colon or it's like forward slash Mike Colon. And then my website is also MikeColon.com. YouTube, I should be, I, I have all these plans. I know how important it is to give back and to teach. And I think teaching is, is so key and everyone should, no matter who you are and what level you're at, you should always be teaching. Yeah. One, teaching is, is, a, is a form of giving. Two, man, you, you, when you're teaching, you're actually learning. You're, you're forced to study up and fleshing up. Yes. And you're actually learning. So YouTube is kind of my next place. So keep an eye out on YouTube or, for new videos coming up. I'm going to try to hold myself accountable to that and try to make it fun because I, I don't think video editing is fun. But I'm going to try to <laughs> figure out a way to trick myself into doing that. Yeah. But yeah, check uh, follow that. And then my website should be coming out within the month. So um, a month from today, I'm going to also hold myself accountable to launch my new website. So, so take a look there. And dude, again, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, always fun talking with you. You're such a good guy. You have a great heart. I appreciate how you have this heart to share and to give. And it's always on solid like you always have solid advice and caring advice. You can tell that you really love people. And I appreciate that about you, Nathan.
0: Well, I, 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 that, first of all, that's very gracious of you to say that. I, I love. I mean, there were multiple times in our conversation today where I got goosebumps because it seems like we're on we're the same page uh, on, on multiple levels you've pointed out yeah, the significance of, of giving to other people. And, and this podcast has been a really wonderful opportunity to have conversation with the, all kinds of cool people in the industry. But I hope that in some way, some form or fashion, it's helpful to those of you out there, maybe that have been in business for a long time, or just getting started. And especially when it comes to being able to learn from photographers like Mike, Mike, we definitely need to go back to Yosemite. And at some point, we need to get out on motorcycles, too. We've, we've talked about this for a little bit. but
1: Yeah, for sure, man. We got to sure. make that
0: happen at some point, too. But we'll make sure to link to all these resources that Mike just mentioned in our show notes thank you again Mike for sharing with the book of podcast listeners hope you have an absolutely wonderful day
1: thanks man love you
0: thanks so much for listening to the book of podcast today Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app and I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show my direct email is nathan at The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit PhotographersEdit.com.